Hello and welcome to The Hill is Always Greener, a show where four friends have chill discussions about Sonic the Hedgehog to distract themselves from the inevitable passage of time and their own rapidly waning ability to relate to the youth. I said that verbatim. Oh. <laughs> It's also known as We're All a Bunch of Nerds and We're Old, and that's the premise of the podcast. Yay! It's 100% true. Uh, yes, I'm Falero. Hello. I'm Cyberlink. I'm Game Buddy. And I'm Rock the Jake. We're all here to talk about hedgy hogs once again. Snock. So, uh, before we get started with the uh, fun little topic that we're going to get on, um, any Sonic y things that anybody's been up to this past week? I think we've all been studying the word. <laughs> that's yeah, true. We have been doing that. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. We've been so um, focused and uh, occupied by the topic at hand because it's it's one that we can't approach lightly because it is, uh, yes, as Jeremy put it, it is the word, is the official word of Sonic, <laughs> uh, the holy knowledge and everything that makes up Sonic and uh, who he is, I believe. At least as far as uh, the United States and most of the UK go. So that's what makes it especially important, is that last bit, the UK, yeah. <laughs> so for me, this is my holy yes. scripture uh, of Sonic. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Sonic the Hedgehog Bibles. But this is not, as much as we giggle and joke, it's not actually about Sonic religion. We had enough discussion about that last time. Uh, this <laughs> is... Uh, how do we describe these? these? These are the origin stories proposed for Sonic the Hedgehog in the West, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, basically the idea was that Sega needed to be able to market Sonic. So they did what a lot of, you know, companies and properties will do. And they create basically a lore Bible to give licensors and advertisers and everything a sense of, okay, who is this character? What is this franchise, this world? What do how best to portray these characters in official products and sort of just general guidelines as to how best to convey Sonic as a property to the people they're trying to advertise to both within and outside of Sega for, you know, external licensors. And why is he so radical? The most radical. That is an important question. No joke, the word radical has come up more times in my reading of these documents than it has for the past <laughs> 20 years, I think. <laughs> uh, that is an important part of his character in the West. Yeah, I feel like the, there was so much work that went into Sonic and crafting his image as this 90s icon uh, that they wanted to make sure that people understood just how radical he truly was and... <laughs> Uh, this these were the initial plans for that, uh, but y y you know what? If you're like a modern Sonic fan, or maybe even an American Sonic fan, a lot of this stuff is probably new to you, because so much of this didn't make it into the like any of the Western adaptations or media. But it's right here, and we're here to talk about the strangeness of Sonic's backstory, at least according to the people who put it together. Yeah, it, it's very it's really interesting when you really get into it, because a lot of it comes down to the fact that you know when they were presented the original kind of pitches for Sonic from Sega of Japan Sega of America is like this is this is a bit much we can't really market this to an American audience we need to almost water it down a little make it a little more palatable for both you know a western and almost more global audience in general we, we hear stories about how what they originally got was you know, a much more aggressive kind of punk Sonic with fangs. Uh, we've all seen the picture of him with his human girlfriend, Madonna, 
which is, yes. <laughs> again, it's a lot when you really get down to it. All of the very 80s anime girls with animal ears and costumes. <laughs> We're going to go down that rabbit hole eventually, uh, the specifics of that, because that's a fun topic for another day. Oh, yeah. But I think it was uh, Madeline Schroeder, the product manager of Sonic the Hedgehog for Sega of America, who uh, sort of stepped in was like, hmm maybe not so much this yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's why we got the uh largely westernized sonic that we are used to seeing at least during the 90s i'm really thankful that uh that there are videos and interviews specifically with madeline where she talks about this experience and how it was very much not a "ooh, this is too foreign to market to kids over here it was very much a streamlining um she she very much seemed like she had her finger on the pulse of like what the what was fixing to happen especially with like kids media I, I think we we was able to find a source that says that she is responsible for at least most of the text in some of these original drafts. And like she talks about how she flew to Japan to like present this, like went there herself to explain how this is going to go maybe over a little bit better as far as marketing goes in the West. I mean, that's just Sonic, isn't it? Like Sonic was always a collaboration between like uh, Japan and America originally in terms of his marketing. And it's kind of amazing that it did work out in that way as much as it did, because, you know, you talk to anybody from that era, Sega Japan and Sega America did not get along. They did mm-hmm. not see eye to eye in a lot of regards. So the fact that they were able to kind of make Sonic as a property work as well as they did is nothing short of a miracle. That's Sonic in general, really. It's all everything falling into place in a way that you would not expect to happen in this day and age. It's just... It's magical, yep. but uh, also required a lot of stepping in and saying, mm, maybe not the fangs, maybe not the uh, fang girls, maybe not the, the Jessica Rabbit stand-in. <laughs> uh, she, uh, Madeline Schroeder would call herself the mother of Sonic because she cares about her children, and in this case, <laughs> Sonic. <laughs> yeah, I, I very much agree. with. I think she definitely earned that moniker <laughs> after going over all this material because there are, and we'll get into specific passages, but I mean, there are literally paragraphs of text that have like carried over the entire 30 years of sonic as far as like his attitudes his personality his worldview i it's it's how i would describe like modern sonic as well that's really impressive that i managed to survive the process all this time yeah it's not a lot of it but when you when you see it you'll be like oh yeah that's sonic that's that still reads like sonic but if you if you just take a look at the broad, general nature of the first um, the first Sonic Bible, which really is just a thirteen page document detailing his backstory, you might not think this is very Sonicy. Uh, this is set like I suppose we're moving on to the first one here. This is it. Do we want to move straight to the first one, or do we want to talk about the Japanese one that ultimately never got used? You know what? Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. We didn't find this out until very recently, like within the last three or four years, but Hirokazu Yasuhara and Naoto Oshima revealed at a GDC conference a few years back that the original pitch for Sonic was that he was supposed to be literally a fictional character within kind of the context of the fiction that was based on a real-life World War II fighter pilot with a penchant for speed and spiky hair that earned him the nickname Hedgehog, and that Sonic was <laughs> a character that was just printed on the front of his plane. And years later, 
his wife would go on to write a children's book based on his exploits that recast him as a hedgehog. And this is all within the context of this larger narrative. And it's like, this, this is a lot. So like an inception <laughs> of fiction upon fiction. Yeah. Oh, very, very interesting. Yeah, I think that came up in, uh, what was it, another, one of the original 90s Sonic movie pitch. We just heard about this very recently. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And we'll we'll link all this into the, scri- the description as well, because it is very new information to the majority of us, I'm sure. Um, but part of the reason that pitch fell apart um, was that Sega of Japan wanted them to incorporate that backstory, the backstory that I don't even know if, like, most of the people in Sega knew about. <laughs> yeah, and Sega of America was like, no, we cannot let our mascot actually be human. <laughs> Hard pass. Or, yeah, the, the way you describe it is, like, not even sort of human but like a character within a character based on a fictional oh man that just sounds that sounds very silly i'll say it darn it yeah silly (laughs) well you know if you listen to the original demo track by masato nakamura of of the sonic hedgehog theme i'm pretty sure you hear a jet engine going by at the very beginning of it baked into the dna uh, as long as we've known perhaps for maybe that's just something going fast but i don't know <laughs> i like to think that's so that's, that's the initial sonic story and i feel like there, there are similarities here because what we're looking at when we have the first ever bible document of sonic is they really want sonic to not only be on earth but uh be in america uh this because this is set in the town of hardly nebraska <laughs> Can I, do, do you mind if I just read this first paragraph? Because I oh, really think it please. sets the tone for the entire thing. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Back in music. Start. Fade in. Sonny Hedgehog was born on Earth in the early 21st century in the town of Hardly, Nebraska, population 1,226. He and his mother and five sisters live underneath a scraggly hedge beside the local burger joint and subsist on burger scraps, milkshakes, and the occasional slug or bug that crawls their way. They are a poor but happy family. Unfortunately, Sonny's dad died when Sonny was just a few days old after falling into a gurgling, festering vat of toxic waste dumped into a nearby pond. I don't. I want some really pleasant music to be going on in the background. Yeah. While you're yeah. <laughs> just always gurgling. I I really do. I really do think that that sets the tone for the the entirety of the rest of this because it's yeah. like you said they want to sit like kind of make him a, a down to earth character. Now there there are some details that are missing from this thing. They don't talk about like okay you you infer through the rest of the text that he is like an anthropomorphic cartoon hedgehog, but also. So that yeah, they live in a hole behind a McDonald's and eat trash. <laughs> and they don't they don't speak English properly without the help of some other machinery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's strange. It is really <laughs> I guess this is just a version of the world where hedgehogs can walk around and uh, interact with people like that. 
It is a bit weird. I, I did check. No, there is no place called Hardly, Nebraska, but there is a place called Hardy, Nebraska. It is apparently a very small town with a population that has never exceeded like 500 people. Wow. Okay. We need to uh, find out about then their wildlife, just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> so to like kind of piggyback off of what Luke was saying, uh, I I occasionally have like a an interest in like really small towns and stuff, and like I just like learning about different cities and how they work. So I, I looked into Hardy, Nebraska, a little bit more, and it's interesting. As of today, Hardy is considered a village that is just shy of half a square mile in like its total area, which is really small. That, that's about that's about a kilometer and a half square kilometers for our UK listeners. And so as of a census 12 years ago, back in 2010, uh, it said that around 159 people live there as opposed to the in here 1,226. So it's just interesting to like think of like over a thousand people cramped into what is essentially a big neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the idea of being, there being fewer human characters in this world, so that makes for a better Sonic story to me. It does almost kind of fit with uh, how Green Hills is portrayed in like the live-action yeah. Sonic movie. Just this very small, you know, small town where everybody knows each other, and then also there is Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the one thing that survived. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of things in this material that I definitely think inspired the the live action movie in this first sonic bible it mentions that sonic loves people and that he's a bit of a prankster and those are definitely like two things that are very apparent in the movie because the fact that he always like goes to watch movies through the window of um like the main human character and like he also you know i don't think he like in his spare time plays pranks but like during certain parts of the movie he kind of sets up actions that are prank worthy yeah, I mean, there's a little, there's a little bit of pranking. He does the whole like blue devil thing with crazy Carl and his traps. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the notes that I wrote was that, uh, I hope the second movie kind of leans into some more of the lore from this, from the Sonic Bible. Uh, especially one part of the Bible that mentions that Sonic is such a nice guy that he goes around giving uh, quills to people, especially the local quilting circle. And that would be freaking amazing to see <laughs> in the second movie. <laughs> That would be great, but consider that in these movies, Sonic's quills are, like, powered with special energy, so that would make for quite the scene. (laughs) There is a scene in the Bible where Sonic, uh, like, curls himself into a ball at a bowling alley, lets somebody throw him, and then just, at the last second, he uncurls and runs off. I feel like that is a prime gag that they would absolutely use in the live-action movie. Yeah, definitely. I do think it is a bit strange seeing Sonic with a family. I know that's like a thing if we're at Satayem and Archie, but Sonic having a hedgehog family and him being called Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> and another interesting fact about Sonic, well, I should say Sonny before he becomes Sonic, is that he was born with thick, bushy brown quills. So. Oh, yes, of course. That's important. Yeah. Just a regular dull as dirt hedgehog. So before people complain about green eyes, they should complain about brown quills. <laughs> it's, it's it's right here it's right here from the beginning from before the beginning and also became a track star apparently mm-hmm. just a regular average run-of-the-mill hedgehog who's training for the olympics <laughs> <laughs> 
Although he loved playing practical jokes on people, Sonny also loved people. While making the rounds for juicy tidbits and gossip, he would drop in on the ladies of the local quilting circle to offer a convenient pin or needle from his ample, portable supply. He spent the summer frolicking in the town park with the other children, donating quills so that they could scribble designs in the sandbox. In time, he noticed that his playmates drew the same pattern over and over again while pointing at him. Sonny! In this fashion, over a few weeks, Sonny learned to read and write. He was some hedgehog. And yet, he was becoming a god among men. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, is that, it? Is that a, a Charlotte's Web? <laughs> I know, yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, That's some, some, yeah some hedgehog. I, I, like to, I like to imagine some people don't know how it's spelled, so like, hedgehog. It took a couple tries. <laughs> I mean, that is also another thing, that this is a United States American thing, but like, we do not have a native species of hedgehog. Sonic was definitely the first time I had ever heard of what a hedgehog was. Right, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because we have those all, like, in the wildlife over here, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I wasn't where they were so strange. Too strange and rare for you guys. I think we even have that later. I don't know if it's the proper uh, Latin name, but it's, uh... Irenaceus Europaeus, which is like a European hedgehog. Yeah, like, it's, it's baked into it. For some reason, for a long time, I always thought porcupines were the same as hedgehogs, and they are not. Oh, no, they are not. Porcupines have much longer quills compared to hedgehogs. Hedgehogs are slightly smaller than porcupines. They measure only 12 inches long, while porcupines can reach up to 15 inches long. Yeah, porcupines are chunky boys, if you yeah. ever see them. Oh yeah, they're big. <laughs> so they, they have the expansion DLC. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, porcupines will fuck you up too. <laughs> You're not wrong. But porcupines only eat plants, whereas hedgehogs are carnivorous. So it is canon that Sonic can eat chili dogs. There you go. <laughs> they have scary little teeth. I was going to say, there's no mention of chili dogs anywhere in the Bible, but it does talk about how we mentioned earlier, Sonic eats scraps from behind the local fast food joint. So that does kind of bring up like, I remember some of like the early Martin Adams novels for Sonic would say that he enjoys, you know, burgers and other fast food and stuff so that might actually have some roots in this bible i think it's also like a, a flash thing because they're like he needs the calories so he that's true that's true <laughs> yeah there's a line that shows up in what the the other drafts and in stay sonic that like yeah it says sonic doesn't eat or drink diet anything he needs the calories <laughs> it kind of makes sense in a way uh, if you want to actually start applying real world like digestive and um, diet dietary stuff onto this uh, fictional hedgehog, I mean the the moment you start trying to apply real world stuff to Sonic the Hedgehog, you go down a deep dark path, and I don't think we want to even <laughs> think about now. Now that he's pushing thirty, I mean he really should go to his uh, doc and get his triglycerides checked out at least. <laughs> his cholesterol might not be in a great state. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've talked a bit about Sonic's, you know, early life and how he befriended the many, many people here in Hardly, Nebraska. I think it's about time we start to get into some of the really good stuff in this Bible, i.e. him meeting Mr. Avi Kintobor. Yeah, basically what happens is that Sonic, as we mentioned, ends up on the track team, does really well, but he has to interrupt his uh, Olympic hopefulness to hibernate with all of his other family. That's another weird thing to hear mentioned in Sonic, like an actual <laughs> real hedgehog thing. <laughs> he does not end up falling asleep right away. He's like, there's really no reason I have to sleep all winter. I can tunnel out a little bit. Nobody will ever miss me. But while he's tunneling, he falls asleep. And 
sometime later, he wakes up when a machine starts digging right near him. And as he emerges to find out what it is, here we are. He scrambled through the pipe, his toes clattering on the metal. After what seemed innumerable twists and turns, he saw the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Relieved, he ran toward it and tumbled head over heels out of the pipe and into an immense room. Well, well, look who we have here! Erinaceus Europaeus! A trim, kindly, mustachioed man bent over Sonny. Sonny had been called many things in his life, but never something so strange as this. Are you all right? The man asked. Wait a minute, silly of me. Let me aim the lingua scrambler at you and see what you've got to say. Sonny was too dazed to protest as the man wheeled over an odd-looking contraption that was somehow shaped like all the letters in the alphabet mashed up together. He pointed at Sonny. My name's not S.C. It's Sonny, and what's happening out there underground? Sonny heard himself squeak in an accusing tone of voice. He had never spoken human before. Oh, that. Sorry to disturb you. That's my Cogwinder Retractable Particulate Core. I'm using it to dig for emeralds. Found six, looking for the seventh. Then my work will be done. The man explained, smiling and speaking very quickly. He seemed to have a lot on his mind and few words to waste. He'd already returned to an enormous control panel at the far end of the room, where green and red lights danced and ribbons of paper spewed from a printer. I love all the completely ridiculous inventions that Kintobor comes up with, even <laughs> in just this first uh, scene. They definitely get even sillier as time goes by. Even if, even oh, yeah. when they start to settle on just like a couple of machines that have practical implications to the the game world, they're still very, very silly. Uh, interesting note there. Uh, he mentioned he's found six emeralds looking for the seventh. Now this was made uh, around Sonic one time, right? Yes. Before we had seven emeralds. That's interesting. This might be my favorite little tidbit because I see how. I, I wonder if there was some synergy here originally because there he's talking about the six chaos emeralds that are featured in Sonic One. We get his uh this is like we said, this is Dr. Ofi Kintober, and he's using his powerful genius brain and dedicated his life's work into saving the planet that has become polluted not only with toxic waste and you know the unending march of industrialized capitalism but also just like pure evil feelings and so what what kentober is wanting to do is to condense the evil of the world into these magical emeralds but in order to complete the process needs the seventh emerald, which is referred to as the gray emerald, which will stabilize and control the others. And I know that this gets used in, um, I think even makes it as far as like getting used as a concept in Sonic the comic. But the, yep. the first thing that I think of is it's the master emerald. Yeah. Yeah. Funny that <laughs> it's the master emerald without being the master emerald um, the controller is the one that unifies the chaos <laughs> exactly like i said I, I i wonder if that wasn't some kind of like synergy with sega like when the the floating island got fleshed out if that wasn't plucked out of there as like oh what if we had you know uh, a master controller emerald to to be able to use in the story but uh, this introduces us to Ovi Kinterbor, and we've like we've no, no fanfare about who this character is. But oh, listeners of our podcast, if only you could see the words written out in front of you, and maybe reverse them in the other way, and you might get a hint as to who this character might actually be. Yeah, hmm. Newbog is goblin spelled backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Red rum. Uh, it is funny how the the Kintober Robotnik thing 
it might be the thing that made it into the most media because Archie used it as Robotnik's birth name as he was Julian Kintober. <laughs> Julian of that house. No, was it? Yeah. Julian of the house of Kintober. Like, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something. I think they may have thrown uh, Evo in there as well. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Yes. It's silly. Also, come on. It's it's very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I can get behind it. Kintober had another goal, to rescue any poisoned or struggling animal he managed to find in the course of his excavation. Dozens of bunnies, squirrels, ducks, and even baby piglets were among the regular group of guests residing in the lab. All were welcome to spend time gaining strength, resting, and eating Kintober's excellent cooking. When fully recovered, they were encouraged to return to the wild. During this particularly severe winter, the animals were only too happy to remain in the lab until spring, a fact that was very good news for Sunny. So right there, we get our introduction as to why there are all of these animals that later on Robotnik will go on to have in his possession and be able to turn into his uh, robots and stuff and capsules and stuff. And we get the addition of in second and later drafts of this Bible is they straight up like name these little creatures, uh, some of the names that would go on to be featured in mostly Sonic the comic. Uh, you've got everything from Sally Acorn and um, I can name them all off the top of my head. Johnny Lightfoot, Porker Lewis, Tux, Chirps, Flicky. Well, Flicky was already there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Flicky was already existing in another game even. And uh, Joe Sushi. Joe Sushi, my man. <laughs> uh, yeah, these things these things would be uh, established in one of these Bibles. but uh... Porker Lewis is still one of the worst puns I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I had no idea that it was a reference to something, because I don't think we had that show over here. For the audience members and me who might not know what the reference is, what is it? <laughs> An old sitcom called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh, okay. There you go. It went over yeah. my head too. Of course, <laughs> uh, they also throw in in a in a promo comic, also based on this Bible. Sonic makes a Rico Suave reference, and I mean, <laughs> come on! Like if there isn't a if there isn't a prime example of how they would also just throw in random '90s pop culture to try and make Sonic seem cool. <laughs> I like that they even go so far as to be like, "Well, Sonic has a dead father, but now he sees Kintobor as this father figure that he never had," which. It's sappy, but I kind of like it. It, it, gives the, it gives the whole thing a little bit more pathos when you realize what's going to happen down the line. So let's, let's read a little bit. I, I shall do a reading from the holy text, uh, if you don't mind. <laughs> the days flew by, with Sonny by Dr. K's side almost constantly. Sonny learned computer science, from building small portable computers to programming the mainframe. He learned about physics, the old laws, as well as the... F- as well as the the a few new theories set <laughs> forth by Dr. K. Whoops. Sorry, Maddie. Maybe needed to uh, proofread this a little bit. His curiosity was boundless and led him into every part of Kintoba's lab as he documented the results of each experiment. As the lab was vast, Sonny soon took to running at top speeds to perform all his duties. How odd, he thought, to find himself gradually replacing dreams of Olympic glory with a dedication to science and helping the other animals. Still, he knew he'd never be a nerd like Dr. K. So partly for relaxation and partly for Dr. K's amusement, he logged in several hours a day on the supersonic treadmill that Kintaba had built for him. 
Slowly, Sonny built his speed to 200, 400, then 761 miles per hour, the speed of sound. Then, impossibly, he crossed all known limits of acceleration and began running at the speed of light. Hang on, that's a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> that, that part doesn't carry over past this no, draft, no, I don't think, no, because... No. Uh, the, sonic, the sonic speed is, you know, the speed of light is, is a bit much, uh... Alarmed, Kinterbor tried to slow the treadmill. Although he managed to gain control of the machine and bring his friend's velocity down slowly, a change had come over a Sunny. Instead of his unexceptional greyish-brown colour, most of his body had turned cobalt blue, and his quills stood straight back in a stiff mohawk. My word! exclaimed Kinterbor, who struggled to comprehend what had just happened. I think you've gone blue from the advanced non-concussive cobalt effect, he said, helping Sunny from the treadmill. 186,000 miles per second. You're so fast, we should call you Sonic. Supersonic, even. How do you like that? He cried, dancing around the lab like a demented pixie. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I like that, answered Sonny. From now on, my name is Sonic. Now watch how fast I can help you get your work done. So there we go. Uh, various, numerous uh, origins there. Um, Sonic then proceeded to... So Rip a tear in the fabric of time and space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, is... Sonic being able to break the speed of sound, I can believe. <laughs> yeah. But this is just going too far. <laughs> this is one of those details I'm I'm not sure if I really like or not, because oh, I guess <laughs> I I like the I like Sonic being like colorful and blue uh, just like as a natural thing yeah I, I i get what they were going for but I, I guess what doesn't gel is like okay he's born with super speed especially in this where he is you know breaking all known laws of all physics but he <laughs> you know he wasn't blue <laughs> i don't know i guess that's just a personal thing um I, I can almost gel with everything but the yeah the fake cobalt effect turning him blue <laughs> Uh, I think what it is, is like, at this time, there weren't all these neon-coloured, like, animal characters. So they wanted to give an explanation for it. It, it. We would learn later on that this is just standard for characters to have, like, weird colours and true. to have, like, special powers naturally. This is this is before Tails, before Knuckles, before mm -hmm. Amy. Yeah, it, it makes sense in the context of the Bible they've been writing where Sonic is just an ordinary hedgehog and they want a reason why, you know, he looks the way he does. Again, an ordinary cartoon hedgehog who learns to read and write and speak and was going to be in the uh, 21st century Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is worth noting that uh, I don't think you're the only one who had these uh, issues. Because if you look at the, sec the first draft that came after this, uh, somebody was re re writing in pen, like saying, like adding all these like extra notes. Possibly someone from Sega of America or Sega somewhere saying, "No, he was born with the ability to run." <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is yeah. funny that there are literal red lines in some of these drafts preserved, and yeah, there were people who were like, "No, no, no, this is silly." But then th this origin does carry forward in a, in all of these uh, all of these documents and makes it into Sonic the comic. Yeah, they would not be denied Sonic's <laughs> superhero. This is because this is a superhero origin story. Oh, one hundred percent, very much so. Although that is another thing that gets notes in. Um, I think the the promo comic that uses this is like the first draft at that was specifically 
turned around and they said, please make it so Sonic does not sound like a comic superhero, which, you know, we're we're still very popular in the coming out of the 80s. You've got some, uh, if I remember correctly, some real like iconic runs of Spider-Man and stuff like that. But they specifically did not want Sonic to sound like, you know, a 60s Superman. <laughs> they, they specifically said, like, he sounds too kick-ass. We don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sonic is only allowed to sound like 60s Superman in the dub of Sega Sonic Cosmo Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Bringing that back. Looks like Dr. Robotnik escaped. Uh, so that's the, uh, that's the initial accident that happened. Yeah. That's, uh, the origin of one character, but I think we've got another on the way. The more significant accident involves the reverse quantum bioformulator. The first name for what this machine is going to be like. Yeah, I think it gets a few of these. So for the course yeah, of that this. that one is there. Uh, Amazing transforming machine. Yeah, yeah, the ATM. <laughs> the ATM. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not until like Stay Sonic and Sonic the Comic that I think they ultimately settle on the uh, retro orbital chaos compressor or the ROCC or the Rock, if you like to say it like that. Yeah. So there is another incident with the machine that Kentobra has developed to channel the evil energies of the world into these emeralds. And as is pointed out multiple times, he has not found the seventh gray emerald to stabilize them and I guess contain it forever, you know, leading to an infinite prosperity on the planet forever and ever and <laughs> complete his life's work. Forever and ever. Amen. It is worth noting that he made these emeralds himself. Like he said, the, the, these gray emerald, I guess, exists elsewhere. But he apparently formed these emeralds, or at least made, like constructed them in that form. Like he's 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 made them. That that was what he's been digging for. But I think that that goes for that goes forward is that he has like these would not exist without his interference. To, to quote Kintobor himself. They're perfect. Cut them myself, Kintabor boasted. They contain a microlytic copy of all the inert energy of every gross and disgusting impulse or deed done by humans since the beginning of time. Sonic gulped. You mean they're evil? Yes, evil and highly unstable. Pure chaotic energy, Kintobor sighed. I transmorphed the chaos of the world into the emeralds using the RQBF. Now the only thing remaining to do is to stabilize them with the Grey Emerald. Until we find the Grey Emerald, we're treading on very thin ice. If the emeralds are disturbed, in theory, they will double the amount of evil in the world. Stabilize, they will rid the world of evil and pollution. That done, I plan to launch them into space where they can harm no one, he said. So how did he get the evil in there? It's the reverse quantum bioformulator. Yeah. Oh, right, of course. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's important to note that they're eating lunch while they're doing this, and Kintabor has a half-eaten egg as uh, his, which is actually surprisingly important. Yes. <laughs> yes, because there is a mysterious burst of solar energy that causes the RQBF machine to... Oh man, just go crazy. <laughs> it zaps the room, it zaps Kintober, it zaps the emeralds, it zaps the half-eaten hard-boiled egg, and <laughs> oh, the process is described as transferring even a small portion of the evil that's been contained into the emeralds into poor Kintober, and after the dust settles, our newly christened Blue Sonic looks on in horror at his new best friend father figure's name tag has been reversed, and now he stands as the roundly shaped, foul-smelling, pure evil creature that is Dr. Evo Robotnik. 
And this really, like, I can't, I, I knew of this origin from hearsay from just other Sonic fans from uh, uh, Sonic the comic, but I can't believe I didn't, like, connect the dots that this kind of injects a bit of tragedy into Sonic's mm. relationship with Robotnik. Uh, you know, I think we've talked about, especially in modern continuities, like, you know, Robotnik is so bad, and, and some edgy Sonic fans are like, well, why doesn't Sonic just kill him so he can't hurt anybody anymore and the answer right here is that because they were friends and that sonic knows that somewhere deep down inside that old ovi kintabor is still there and maybe someday he might be able to bring him back and it's it's crazy that uh i immediately saw the parallel and i don't know if ian has ever confirmed this in the idw sonic continuity but that there is a lot of that i see a lot of that uh, parallels with Mr. Tinker, uh, where <laughs> Dr. Eggman has had some retrograde amnesia and thinks he's a, a helpful little toy maker. And I, I think that injects a lot of lasting personality into Sonic himself. They, they make it very clear he's a punk. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't do well with authority. He kind of lives by his own way but he also loves people he loves his friends and the the world he lives in and ultimately believes that there is good in all of that and the 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 tragedy of dr kintober just really really stuck with me in these <laughs> in these early documents i can say that i'm totally here for it it's a bit weird that he combined with the egg though isn't it <laughs> oh yeah they they explicitly <laughs> mentioned that like he is now a, i mean well he is an egg man like he stinks like he rotten am. eggs he <laughs> you know he becomes like a disgusting goblin man who doesn't shower and <laughs> eats no nothing but tone. eggs with his hands and describes <laughs> you know getting uh you know runny yolks all over his mouth it, and- is, it is so strange that they so heavily leaned into the egg motif but they still changed his name of from Eggman. it's yeah. so bizarre well, you can't spell anything with Eggman backwards, I guess, so they just had to go. I think that basically brings us to the end of the initial 13-page document. Um, that's more or less the uh, origin of Sonic, according to uh, Madeline Schroeder originally, and, well, I guess the UK origin. Like, we're going to get into more of this, but this is, like, it. This is what I knew as Sonic's backstory for a long time. Yeah. Because it wasn't just here. Like, obviously, I didn't even know about this Bible. It was in Sonic the Comic. It was in Stay Sonic. It was in the various books that we had, the Adventure Game books, the Martin Adams novels. Like, not, not none of this Nebraska stuff. None of this Earth stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, this was, because we'll get into the changes. But this is, like, the very basic idea of Sonic got, got, Sonic started off as a brown hedgehog, gained his power of speed and his blue and his blueness, and uh, Robotnik used to be Dr. Kinterbor, his friend. And is now just an evil man who can, who's like sucked up all the evil, and that's just who he is. That's that's it. That's right here, right in these thirteen pages. Uh, we would get some drafts. There are some other drafts online. Uh, the second one, well, I suppose it's it's listed as draft one, but I consider it like the second draft of this. Yeah, but more like revision one. Yeah, this is like sixteen pages. It's a it's more of a thorough reference document, not just a story now. Uh, it seems to, like, it was, like you said, it was supposed to explain the franchise and the vibe of Sonic. This, like, gives people an outline, but it's still very early. 
Uh, and But they make sure to point out that none of this is meant to be contradicted. You can build upon it, but don't contradict it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we'll keep that in mind for when they make other media products after this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but like we mentioned before, there are like various like red line notes like throughout this. I don't know who was writing them. Someone in the higher upper revolution on a Sager, I guess. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Like I assume it's still Madeline Schroeder writing the Bible because her name is on the second page. But someone was coming in being like, no, no, no. So like I mentioned, <laughs> uh, one of the things like the Sonic's power was something they disagreed with. Uh, Madeline pushed through on that. But uh, right on, it starts off with, like, it mentions, like, Sonic and Kintoba become friends. And someone's written in big text, NOT! <laughs> <laughs> Another very 90s thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Not. Yeah, they're very insistent that Sonic was born blue and fast. But what we've got here, like, the big, like, one of the biggest changes that we have throughout this is no longer is it in hardly Nebraska. We hardly knew you. Uh, <laughs> now we've moved on to Planet Mobius for the first time. So that's pretty cool, I think. It also, also shows that Mobius as a concept was something Sega of America did come up with, but was not like a, oh gosh, I remember in like the early days of the internet, people insisting that it was like a translation error from a an interview with a Japanese developer and, you know, some stupid Sega of America person just slapped that in the manual when this was obviously like very intentionally planned out. Yeah, absolutely. It's right here in the text. Planet Mobius, uh, a separate location from Earth. Just, it, it's, it just gives Sonic like a, a place for all his furry friends to be, so you don't need quite as much elaborate explanation. There are still explanations. We've still, like, Sonic's keeping his backstory of gaining the, the blueness and the speed. But now it's just like, well, I guess this is on another planet now, so that's why things are the way they are. At least that's how I interpret it. And aside from the change of setting, it's still relatively similar to the original origin. Like, it's still Ovi Kintabor trying to, like, absorb the evils of the world and, you know, detoxify Mobius using the Chaos Emeralds, find the uh, Control Emerald, launch him into space. Well, actually, next time he wants to send it to the... He wants to send the Emeralds to the frozen core of Mobius, since that's a thing, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do get a little in the Sonic's... Uh personality section we do get established that he was orphaned in the green hill zone no parents this time yeah <laughs> yeah no parents <laughs> sorry sonic but also I, I i like and i think this pops up in uh stay sonic that it just says that yeah sonic was orphaned but also that he just kind of popped up <laughs> just came out of nowhere <laughs> uh they do start uh, integrating some of the other uh game mechanics as well like they specifically you know, the RQBF is now the amazing transforming machine, as we mentioned. And it mentions that it consists of thousands of gold rings that constantly flow positive energy around the machine's core and cool it down as it transfers evil from one robot into another. And then they also mentioned that uh, Kintabor put all of the, like, little uh, computers that would become the item boxes around Green Hill and everywhere so that anybody with information about the location of the missing emerald can potentially send them into him and he can do like recon and stuff. So just kind of laying the groundwork for why all of these things are scattered around the world. Yeah, I, I actually really like that. It's it is also interesting to just straight up have them referred to as personal computers. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they are they are terminals and not just like uh you know cathode ray televisions laying around. Robotnik <laughs> sets up a bunch of Apple IIe's all across Green Hill Zone. <laughs> 
Uh, it's, and they're not just like... They could easily have just said, they're there, just like the little item boxes in Mario. It's just part of the world. Yeah. And they're like, no, we want to have a reason for everything, I guess. Which kind of does gel with the, the fact that uh, the Green Hill and Mobius is supposed to be like uh, like an unspoiled magical uh, forest wonderland that has like come under attack by like the forces of pollution. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, they literally are explaining. Well, why would would there be a bunch of monitors in the middle of the forest? And it's like, hmm. oh, you know, Doctor Kentober put them there. Also, when it comes to explaining like uh, concepts from the game, we also have like. Uh, what the secret zones are, the bonus stages. They're the warps of confusion. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I kind of is... like that. I love that name. <laughs> it's very good. Oh, it is very funny. That that is a good way to describe those special stages. If you yep. spend enough time playing them. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they jump between a couple of drafts of this, whether they are naturally occurring areas because of the Chaos Emeralds, or straight up like created by Robotnik to you know keep people from getting the emeralds. Yeah, I, yeah. In this draft, they are naturally occurring, just weird pockets of space time, I guess. And they also say, you know, the accident with the machine ultimately is what causes the rings to be scattered throughout all the different zones. I just like that. I like these little explanations. They didn't need to do that, but they decided they did. So just for funsies, uh, I'd propose that it'd be fun to look over the likes and dislikes in this first draft of both Sonic <laughs> and Robotnik. I was, yes. Oh, I was, I was going to bring up at least the, I, I think the objectives in life is what I was mentioning earlier yeah. that like carries forward with Sonic in, in every version even today yeah. but yeah some of these are hilarious yeah. <laughs> and like some of these some of these likes i actually kind of saw reflected in some of those recent um adventures of sonic episodes we watched for the last episode yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. especially the horny part <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean when they specifically mentioned like what was the wording they used here? Because I've got it written down. Watching shapely hedgehogets stroll by. <laughs> Damn <crazy>. it. <laughs> Sonic loves fast footwork, fast cars, specifically red convertibles, skateboards on hills, video games, anything or any way to move through life at top speed. His favorite diet? Fast food and candy bars. What else? Ooh, a little too relatable there. Uh, Sonic. <laughs> Sonic loves burgers, tacos, nachos, fries, anything chocolate, and the strongest espresso or cola if it's a hot day. Sonic doesn't eat or drink diet anything. He needs the calories, but when he does slow down, there's nothing Sonic likes more than hitting the beach with his friends, watching shapely hedgehogettes stroll by, <laughs> catching some rays. That's when he's not body surfing, windsurfing, or competing in contests to see who can build the most awesome sandcastle in the shortest amount of time. The only thing Sonic stresses out over is the times he must wait for a trap to move into position so he can get over it or around it. Patience is not one of Sonic's strong points. If he falls into the hands of a slow player, he'll cop his trademark, what's the matter with you, dude? Attitude and tap his foot with impatience. I'm waiting. <laughs> I really love that idea. Like I've, I've, I've just always loved the idea that Sonic is like the one in control in those situations. Like he's self-aware. He's like, yo, come on. 
you're, you're in control of a cool dude here. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got more chocolate burgers to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I do love, it's what I mentioned earlier about how some of this, I, I think, carries forward into even the modern interpretations of Sonic. I love the objectives in life blurb that says, objectives in life, uh, to have fun and enjoy the ride. Life is a blast. If you don't stop to think about it, that sums up Sonic's philosophy. <laughs> as long as he has his supersonic speed, his sneakers, and his good buddies, Sonic is one cool and happy dude and i i just love that i think that is very sonic yeah a great yeah a great thing to build anything off of is just that that you know sonic's not dumb he's not self-centered he's just simple in his objectives for life i also read it's like sonic's also trying to run away from the dark thoughts (laughs) (laughs) yeah it does come up several that i mean Sonic is very generic punk rock as far as like being, uh, you know, he's he doesn't do good with authority, doesn't want to be told what to yeah. do, but he genuinely cares about the people around him because but what if he didn't have those, then what's the point, man? Carefree and radically cool. That's what Sonic is all about. Nothing deep. That's not to say Sonic is an airhead. When he's not teasing you or playing a joke on you, he's probably the best friend you could ever hope for. He cares about his forest pals and delights in coming to their rescue. Then there's Sonic's attitude. When he wants something, he goes for it, 150%. Sonic does not respond well to authority. He just doesn't have time to listen to someone else tell him what to do. Instead, he'd rather figure it out for himself or just do whatever needs to be done without thinking about it. He's cocky, independent, self-assured, but not obnoxious or cruel. I don't know about that last part as an FTC fan. <laughs> I was going to say. I, I, I joke, I joke. Yeah. <laughs> One more clue about Sonic's personality? He's more than a bit vain about his blue spikes. His spikes are always perfect. In Sonic's world, slobs finish last. Another red line there. (laughs) Where slobs has been changed to imperfectionist, which I get it, but also that doesn't really flow. (laughs) I think it gets changed back to slobs in the next draft. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Can I just... The one thing that does get removed here is uh, is a carryover from the last one where it says... Like earlier on when in his physical characteristics, they mentioned Sonic's only physical failings, which they've crossed out physical, are his poor eyesight. And they've scribbled it out and put lack of fear, etc. That's right, Sonic does not experience fear. <laughs> <laughs> What's my only downside? I'm too fucking cool, man. <laughs> I I mean, that is something that does carry over a lot into future Sonic media is the fact that he does not scare as easily as most people mean makes him overconfident. I think that is like a good weakness for a character like this to have. Instead of just giving him poor eyesight. (laughs) (laughs) Another small tangent, but yeah, the middle of that, it says uh, he's too fast for his own good and it's hard to break as far as like tumbling off of a cliff. And that literally happens in that promo comic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He goes right over a cliff and almost uh, lands right on some spikes. Just like the game. (laughs) Oh, we've talked about Sonic's likes, dislikes, his personality, all that. It's only fair to talk about. Mr. Ivo, Dr. Ivo Robotnik's. I have to remember he got he has a PhD. He'd like to be yeah. referred to as doctor. Yeah, he earned I mean it. they go into that here actually, I think, when they talk about his history as Kintable. They definitely go deeper into it in some later drafts, but they talk a lot about you know how Kintabor was trying to detoxify Mobius, transformation, everything. Although he looks like an egg, Robotnik is definitely not cracked. Unfortunately, he still possesses nearly all of his formidable intellect and now uses it for evil purposes. 
Robotnik holds every advanced scientific credential possible from all 11 Ivy League universities on Mobius, as well as the Mobius Prize in Physics and Biotechnology. Now evil, he plans to further augment his mental capacities by embedding a ceramic neural network in his brain so that he can carry out physics calculations in his sleep. Robotnik has always adored, and still adores, eggs. Hard-boiled, scrambled, over-easy, poached, or in an omelet. Now, he especially enjoys them raw with a dash of Tabasco. He eats with his hands very slowly. It is not a pretty sight. Robotnik dislikes any creature with an independent spirit, hence he hates Sonic. Also, he realizes Sonic is onto his plot to take over and despoil Mobius. <laughs> I like that the first thing is that, like, I hate how independent he is. Also, he keeps getting in my way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to break his independence. He's just a, he's a nasty egg-eating freak. <laughs> Just trying to imagine him eating an egg with his hands, just like <laughs> crumpling up the shell and oh, it's running down his fingers. And Well, you know what? To to try to give credence to the image, the other night I was trying to make an omelet for dinner and I decided to try to crack an egg in a different way where basically I ended up cracking it and spilling it onto the stovetop and oh, no. desperately trying to, to clean it up with paper towels. So <laughs> I, he, you, you could imagine him just like throwing a whole dozen on a table and just going, no, I'm glad you have like physical experience <laughs> with that sort of thing. So you get to be getting deep dive into the mind of Dr. Ivor Robotnik. Yeah. I'm channeling the Evo right now. I'm glad this didn't translate visually into any of the other mediums <laughs> yeah. because it just seems like a bit much. A smidge. I feel like we got a little bit of it in STC, at least some ugly, gross egg things, but yeah. <laughs> the idea of him just fondling this egg and... Uh, no. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of the remainder of this is kind of some light descriptions on some of the other uh, little Mobinis, Robotniks, Badniks. You know... All of Sonic's friends, Rabbit, Squirrel, Pig, Flicky the Duck, <laughs> Penguin, Chicken, and Seal. And Dirt. <laughs> See you in Sonic 2, everybody. <laughs> I do like that they actually, ha earlier on, they have they described that the, his friends taught him various abilities. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. And the accidental learning, <laughs> accidentally learning how to do the spin attack because chirps fell out of a tree or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we jump into kind of the last draft. Uh, this one is also incomplete, I think, but it's a lot closer to what I think the final version of the Bible would be. I, I like how they even have some little uh, artistic directions. You know, the previous one had this as well, where they wanted to have like a model sheet of sonic and robotnik in different po in like a list of different poses but if you look in like the fourth page here okay the final version of this will have a picture of sonic peeking over the corner of the page like he's narrating the whole thing yeah we don't actually have any actual art in here it's just descriptions but i do like that this uh, the, this has a little introduction from sonic right off the right off the bat i i looked and this is copied like nearly word for word in stay sonic as well that's true I like this. With a little bit of expansion. Uh, Jeremy, as our resident Sonic voice, would you care to read this page? Hey, don't believe we've met. You were probably moving too slowly. Anyway, I'm Sonic, as in Super Sonic, and I want to set the record straight on a few things. So hang with me for a millisec while I give you a newsflash. First, I am not a hero, I'm a superhero. And I'm not like those other vid guys. They may claim to be super, but I'm the original. Funny thing is, I didn't even want to be great. I just am. What else could I do? Once Dr. Robotnik went berserko, I had to save my friends. Lucky for them, I also saved the planet. 
Second, about my speed. Lots of folks at Sega will tell you how they sweated bits to bust my moves right through the sound barrier. Well, that's true, but they had some help. Don't want to hog any credit, but at the last nanosec, it was yours truly who pumped up the action. How did I do it? Check out the power sneakers for maxed out speed. Now everyone wears them at Sega. And last but not least, there's the hair. My hair. It's blue, it's cool, and it's natural. Why the spikes? Simple aerodynamics. Ever try a supersonic spin attack without spikes? Okay, so now you know all about me. The superhero status, the speed, the fabulous spikes. Let's talk about you. What are you waiting for? It's time to start cruising at supersonic speed. Have some fun. Be the fastest and the greatest. Like me. See you in the Green Hill Zone. Signature Sonic the Hedgehog. They couldn't they couldn't get it to his desk in time. <laughs> I, so like, did you read blank. this copy for us? <laughs> <laughs> I like at the at the end. I started imagining like, tell me about you. What are you looking for in five years? What career do you have? <laughs> I love the idea that everybody at Sega is just now wearing Sonic shoes. Like I'm just picturing <laughs> yeah. Tom's, Tom Tom Kalinski in like red and white high tops. <laughs> That's really going to help with the game dev process. <laughs> Sonic, yeah, Sonic really insisting that yeah, those programmer guys. But uh, yeah, I came in at the twelfth hour and finished the game. <laughs> I told them to tighten up the graphics on Scrap Brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. This does read a lot like Sonic's character in the West, like in the 90s. This is just right there. Like you can absolutely hear that being all being said in like Jaleel White's voice, for example. <laughs> oh, yes. for, for certain. Um, but yeah, a lot of this is very similar to the information we've already gone off, but with a lot more like uh, fleshed out characters. I think this is where we get names for uh, Sonic's animal friends. Orphaned at an early age, Sonic grows up in the forest of the Green Hill Zone and falls in with a clan of rambunctious animal friends. His friend teaches him all the tricks they know. From Johnny Lightfoot the rabbit, Sonic learns how to outrun every other creature in the forest. From Sally Acorn the squirrel, he learns how to jump incredible distances. And Porker Lewis the pig teaches him how to fear fire. Thanks, Porker. <laughs> <laughs> Teaches him to fear. He, once we establish, Sonic does not experience fear. So. In the previous draft, I believe it just said that Porker taught him the joys of wallowing in the mud. So this is an upgrade. <laughs> That's definitely an upgrade. <laughs> Flicky the Bluebird influences Sonic with her happy, fearless approach to life. Joe Sushi the Walrus shows him how to dive and swim underwater. And from Tux the Penguin, Sonic picks up the skill of finding air bubbles underwater. Most important of all, Chirps the Chicken inadvertently helps Sonic develop the technique for his supersonic spin attack. As Chirps is learning to fly, he tumbles head over heels out of the nest. Sonic teases Chirps by imitating him, but as he tumbles, Sonic builds up so much speed that he becomes a blur of quills and fur. Before Sonic knows it, he's drilled a hole through the side of a mountain. Sonic meets Dr. Robotnik after accidentally tunneling into a secret underground lab. Robotnik, before he turns evil, befriends Sonic and lets Sonic visit from time to time to watch experiments. When Robotnik becomes evil, Sonic escapes from the lab, returns to the Green Hill Zone, and tries to warn his friends of the impending planetary disaster. Now you're all caught up. <laughs> yeah, I like these. I like these little descriptions of the characters. That <laughs> just it's just it gives us something to sink our teeth into. Like, there's a lot of the stuff in the previous draft still copied over word for word, with maybe you know some exceptions for like change names and stuff. I do appreciate that they've got art direction for sonic yeah and they call out like the specific pantone colors for all of the uh different parts of his body to make sure that everything is on model i do like the little descriptions here though like sonic must appear youthful tough and cocky but also cute 
Uh, <laughs> Robotnik must appear nasty and evil. When illustrating Robotnik in a spaceship, he should still appear evil. <laughs> <laughs> but if you scroll down to about page 26, they have a new section called The Sonic Myth, which is basically, again, taking that original like full story treatment and creating an expanded version, including like individual scenes to describe moments in this story that end up more or less like being directly translated into other media like Stay Sonic and Sonic the Comic. Like this is the closest to the finished version of the Sonic um, origin as we get, I think. At least uh, from coming from Sega of America. Uh, but this also introduces the idea that Sonic sneakers are friction reducing. Yeah. Um, don't, don't really want to get into the physics of that. I'm not sure if it would actually work. I feel like you just slip all over the place, but you know... <laughs> It's, it's, it's supposed to be the idea that Sonic's shoes will no longer cause, like, sparks in the lab or something. But, you know, pseudoscience is all over this, so it's fine. Oh, yeah. I like how this version of the story also adds in that part of the reason why Robotnik is going after Sonic is because of the fact that, you know, they spent so much time together. And he's like, that accursed hedgehog knows all my secrets. I have to eliminate him before he has a chance to warn anybody or potentially stop me. It gives Robotnik, like, kind of personal stakes in this as well as Sonic, on top of, uh, you know, what the kind of former friendship drama that was already kind of baked in. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. It's like, you can't go out with this information or I'm going to get cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This um, week on Radical Left Highway. <laughs> there it is. Cancel culture, that's the problem. Oh, God, this version of Robotnik would absolutely be yeah. against cancel culture. Oh, jeez, yeah. Yeah. Western Sonic naming uh, conventions were largely established here. Yeah. That is one of my favorite, favorite words is badnik, just because... It's so good, though, isn't it's it? Very, it's great. It's very good. <laughs> when they when they started using Eggman's robots, I was like, hmm. I mean, yeah, technically they are, but... It, it doesn't have as much yeah. personality. Right here at the bottom, they've got a guide to the zones with the kind of lore stuff behind the different items in the stages, as well as, like, everything you come across in like each one i find it interesting that they're still using the name warp of confusion for special zones and secret zones yeah they would not be stopped <laughs> <laughs> those red line notes cannot contain their desire to have these names and good for them uh i like that i think that's i think that covers all the drafts that's all the bibles we've covered all the testaments uh, i'm pretty proud of us <laughs> <laughs> that basically covers all of the kind of pre-release uh bibles and everything but this story really digs in deep once we get into what it was repurposed as, which, you know, Chris is the expert on out of all of us, and that is Stay Sonic. Yeah, I mean, that's the main thing. Uh, there was a book released over here in the UK. Essentially, this is, uh, this, is, this is like the Sonic Bible for the UK, which just happened to be like heavily referencing the uh, documents we've seen thus far. This is what would be like everything that ended up in... Sonic the comic, the adventure game books, uh, the Martin Adams novels. Uh, it's it's kind of an expanded version of the, st the story we've seen so far, just with a lot more British humour sort of punching it up and lots of things that yeah. probably went over all of your heads collectively. Uh, so, and some of them that went over mine too, because I don't remember everything that happened in the 90s. <laughs> uh, it was of its time. I I'm looking in here at some of the uh, creatives attached. Uh, it says here, text copyright My Michael Pattenden. But I'm seeing some familiar names. Uh, Badnik Tech's copyright James Wallace. 
Oh, there we go. Author of two of the best Sonic novels from that era. Uh, and then Sega Mega Drive and Master System tips, copyright Tony Takushi, 1993. <laughs> the regular in Sonic the comic. Because uh, this isn't just Sonic's backstory. There's little bits like... Expo- Basically, both versions of Sonic 2 are represented here. And uh, so yeah. this is like a little bit of everything for Sonic fans. Like for me, I had this as a child. I had an actual physical copy of this. I think I've got one in the house somewhere. This is just like a little like a guide to Sonic in a way, but it doesn't like everything we've talked about thus far is here. It's just a little more specific, I think. Yeah, like I'm looking at the introduction section. It's got the same thing of Sonic introducing himself and everything, and it's almost entirely uh, like word for word from the Bible. Yeah, it just makes a more oblique, like obvious Mario reference here. Uh, talking about the other guys, the other video game heroes, <laughs> the, the mustache. mustaches. This is like <clears throat> used for reference material in a lot of the comics which I read growing up. And uh, if you read like the Sonic the Comic adaptation of the origin story, which is very much based on this, little lots of little bits show up in here, like Sonic reading a comic book called Attack of the Killer Zombie Penguins and uh, get, making a very specific burger order and things like that. Yeah, I think even uh, very funny particular details like um, Kintober having a book called like The Idiot's Guide to Quantum Mechanics or something <laughs> like that is also very funny. I, I like how I like how the story like the story stuff begins with just the phrase, in the beginning there was Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is my kind of vibe. <laughs> Sonic's introduction story also introduces like mentions he was found wandering around in the days by Sophocles, a sharp-eyed owl. Yeah, see, there we go. Only ever mentioned in this one sentence. I don't know if it showed up in any other, like, Bible we didn't see, but uh, there's an owl character who found Sonic early on, and there he is. Uh, maybe, a, maybe I doubt he was the inspiration for Old Man Owl all the way in Japan, but maybe Longclaw? <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say, like, Old Man Owl might be a happy coincidence, but, I mean, I just can't imagine that, yeah, Longclaw from the first uh, modern, or, you know, live-action Sonic movie was not pulled from this. I mean, it's possible that they both drew from the same point of origin, which is all the owl motifs in Labyrinth Zone. Ah, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that could make sense. But that's just a little thing. That, that, that never showed up in any of the other media, by the way. Like, I, I'm talking about, the, like, this is, like, the reference material for all the sonic things but they saw like everyone writing these other novels in sonic the comics saw that sentence was like oh cool not gonna acknowledge that <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. A, it's just an owl character for one sentence yeah. i do think it's also funny and weird that they mentioned like uh with made up space numbers uh mobius's relation to like the planet earth like truly cementing that this is not the same planet no, they mention lots of like lots of other planets in this, like interplanetary like conversations going on, and like different universities across planets and stuff. So it suggests that this is this whole system of of worlds, which is pretty cool and kind of another coincidence. Sonic Colors would come out later with all those different other worlds that you could visit and make a theme park out of. But this also contains lots of like Sonic Two stuff. Like while the, the previous stuff was all Sonic One focused, this gives us some time to see some like Sonic Two things, like Tails. And uh, Tails described as more than a bit dim. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, they've decided, like, uh, the, we, we had no reference for the fact that Tails is actually a, a genius. So this would be, this, this would certainly carry over. As, you know, Tails is just a little kid. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's 
silly pixel brain. They don't actually use that terminology. <laughs> but there you go. Um, for all of you wondering why Tails is the way he is in Sonic the Comic, uh, blame this book, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not too dissimilar in uh, even, even like the American cartoons where he's just a little kid that tags along. Like, there's not much unique about Tails until, yeah, we, we got, I guess, the, the OVA and other, like, uh, Sega of Japan helmed media that uh, made him the boy genius uh, mechanic that he is today. I really, I tell you what, I really appreciate these full color photos of um, scrambled eggs and toast that apparently Robotnik <laughs> enjoys eating. <laughs> that was important to include in here. Uh, <laughs> that was really they good. really expand on uh, Kintabor's background. Kintabor's CV makes for impressive reading. Little is known about his family except that they were unremarkable in every sense and that he was adopted. Names of his <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I just laugh at that. Well, shows are also like contradictory, kind of. <laughs> just say he's adopted. The names of his surrogate parents aren't recorded, probably since his achievements rapidly overshadowed them. At 18 months, young Ovi was able to perform complex algebraic calculations and beat mainframe computers at 3D chess. By the age of four, he was holding lengthy discussions on subjects ranging from molecular structure to team selection and tactics for the World Speedball Championships. He also picked up five different languages, including Phoebean, Simulwesian, and Ursan, by dialing interplanetary video chat lines and clocking up a hefty bill in the process. He developed a habit of reciting lengthy packages of Dijongan poetry, leading his parents to believe he was mad. Instead, after extensive tests, he was judged to have an IQ of 268. Child psychologists suggested plenty of external stimuli and cutting back on the E-1666 in his diets. Apart from a minor incident which involved the scrambling of a neighbor's planet's starfighters after he hacked into their defense system, Kintabor enjoyed a trouble-free childhood. One excerpt from his school report suggested Kintabor has outstanding ability, though it added, must try harder. Age 9, Kintabor patented his first invention, a molecular egg stain remover, the first sign of what was to become a major obsession for him. Robotnik went on to obtain every advanced scientific qualification possible from all 11 universities on Mobius. At age 16, he enrolled at the University of Syracuse where he published a report questioning accepted theories of thermodynamic entropy. His tutor was subsequently dismissed and Kinteborn stayed as head of the department where, with a sizable grant, he began research into advanced cybernetics. He left Syracuse to set up his own research and development business from which he invented over 100 devices such as osmotic spectacles now accepted as everyday eyewear all over the universe in electronically adjustable platform shoes. <laughs> this no, I, I, I feel like like there had to have been some like just Star Trek-esque gobbledygook <laughs> thrown in there just for flavor. Yeah. None of this, I, I doubt any of this was in any of the Bibles. I think this is just UK authors having a lot of fun yeah. with this. Uh, the only thing that was in the Bibles was the thing about having degrees from all 11 universities. Aside from that, they're just like, oh, let's, uh, we've got a real word count here. I'm going to goof around. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I like <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of those, like, throwing in some, like, oh, some alien, uh, what is it, war-torn general, and just some really, uh, again, it sounds very, like, I guess Star Trek Next Generation would have been around at the time. Very, like, uh, Klingon-based names. Yeah. I could feel like I could talk about this book for a while, but because uh, this is a part of my childhood, but um, it's just, it's, it's, I like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, very fun. I, I like how they really want you to dig in on like how evil Robotnik is. To unwind, Robotnik likes to watch endless horror movies in 3D. He cheers and applauds <laughs> loudly at the goriest bits. He enjoys. <laughs> now, hold on. I do that too. <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah. He enjoys reading horror stories and obituaries. 
Jeez. Oh. <laughs> Depends on who they're for. But, uh, um, <laughs> this is... Uh, yeah, I feel like if we talk about this, I'll be here all yeah. day. <laughs> the, this is, uh, but this is like right here. This is the basis for Sonic in my country. And th- that's what makes it interesting to me is... You know, we, we've got all these like extensive Bibles detailing Sonic's supposed fictional history in the West... And how much of that ended up in American media? Mobius and Sally Acorn, maybe. That's, that's <laughs> yes. Everything else. I, I, I think we brought up, uh, uh, very tangentially mentioned the the Sonic cartoon original pilot, which I think all that exists of it is the two screenshots that got printed in several things, yeah. where you yeah, have some the blonde Sally and... Yeah, it's it's so weird. And yes, all of this was painstakingly compiled and designed by Sega of America. And like you said, like less than 1% of it made it into the American media that we would associate with with Sonic for the next 25 years or so. They're very insistent you don't contradict it. So just to, but you can ignore it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cuz yeah, we basically ended up with uh, with Sad AM and the Archie comics, and that was the you know the the Sonic origin and Bible that uh, the United States ended up with, and none of this stuff it it kind of blows my mind that I am learning most of this like now. <laughs> yeah, and this is from America. Like America came up with this, and they and they just wholesale decided actually we'll do our own thing if you don't mind. Uh, no, so no Kinterbor, no Sonic um, developing his powers, just. But Sally Acorn is there and is a lot more important than she is in any of these documents. Yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, that's kind of, yeah, if you wanted to know like what made up the DNA of what I understood to be Sonic as a child, here it all is. And it uh, wasn't anything we came up with. Uh, but we elaborated on and we came up with our own things, just looking at Stay Sonic and uh, Sonic the Comic. And uh, even that little promotional comic, although that was America, so whatever. <laughs> like, uh, we took that and we rolled with this. We decided, hey, this is some interesting fiction. And, you know, we've come across some of these ideas which are, I think make for good character things for Sonic. Like, um, you meant, like, Jeremy was very happy to talk about the tragedy of Sonic. <laughs> and Sega, you should let Sonic cry over the last one. <laughs> By the way, you should watch that video. You should yes. watch uh, Brian David Gilbert's video on yes. the Sonic Bible because, uh, oh yes, much funnier than anything we can say. <laughs> we definitely that was that was I think the first thing before I even dove into those, and it's a very very well done, very funny video. <laughs> Be sure to link it down here as well as all of this. It's all been painstakingly preserved by. Uh, I think we've all been reading it from the Sonic Retro uploads that has links to all of this, all the Bibles, the uh, the promo comics, uh, thorough like description discussion of the the Sonic the comic the issue. It's it's all it's all there. Definitely go out and read it yourself. It's a it's a it's a quick read. Yeah, but that's uh, that about sums it up. Um, just for me personally, yes, this is my Sonic childhood, and uh, when I was faffing around with Sonic fanfiction, I definitely spent a lot of time in these and discovered a lot of interesting things, which I'm happy to share with all of you. And I'm thank you, all of you, for allowing me to <laughs> just uh, indulge by talking about this ultra-specific Sonic topic, which I think is really freaking interesting. It really is. Absolutely. And, and you should definitely, if you want a, a new interpretation <laughs> of a lot of this information, you should check out Falero's Sonic Chaos in the System story, which is very delightful. And again, 
takes a lot of this information and i mean i can only speak for myself has been my favorite version of it at least oh thank you uh this is just my long-winded way of getting around to advertising my fan yes i wanted to get in there under the door in case you were trying to weasel out of it <laughs> <laughs> but, you know like um i feel like a lot of this stuff maybe isn't relevant anymore to sonic so my idea was what if we took some of these things and applied them in the way that actually works with the games now because i feel like like we said there are so many cool concepts here and God bless Madeline Schroeder for trying to, like, create this weirdly sort of, like, make sense kind of world of Sonic that the games would later be like, nah, it's all right, we'll just, it's all just animals <laughs> with powers, isn't it? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, that, I think that brings us to the end of this particular topic. Yeah. Uh, what a journey it's been. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, that, that's been it. That's been the Sonic Bibles, uh, the holy word, the scriptures of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Thank you for coming along on this journey with us. Uh, I suppose we should plug our socials, but you suppose you can find me at Falero on Twitter. That's F-A-U-L-E-R-R-O. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cyberlink420. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at GreatJobJeremy. That's G-R and the number eight. And you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at RockTheJake. And as always, special thanks to Amy Waters for the use of our theme song for the show from the album Gotta Go Slow. Definitely go check out her work on YouTube and Bandcamp and also follow her on Instagram and Twitter as well. Now we're at the end of that episode. What are we going to do next week? I'm sure we're glad we spent a lot of time working this one out. Well, I don't know if you realize this, but there's a certain movie that's, that's coming out, will already be out by the time, you know, people hear this. Ooh, that's very exciting. Maybe we could discuss a, a really cool Sonic movie. What do you guys think? Since the sequel is coming out, I think that it's important that we, you know, take some time to discuss the original Sonic the Hedgehog the movie. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> By which I mean the original Sonic the Hedgehog the movie. Yes. We're talking about the OVA, lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're a fan of the OVA, lots of people are. Come come join us next time, because that's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Gonna be so much uh, fun. Going down to the Japanese side of the Sonic uh, Sonic stories, uh, that'll be fun. I think we spent a lot of time in the Western side now, now I look at it. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's take a look at how things go on the other side of the world. Oh, good. An- another continuity for us to get, you know, we're too wrapped up in. And it really is its own continuity, so that's going to be confusing. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, but uh, this has been another exciting episode of uh, The Hill is Always Green. I've been Falero. I've been Cyberlink. I'm Game Buddy. And I'm Wrath of Jake. Hedgehog, noun, a burrowing animal. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We learned a lot about him this time. That's true. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>